evening. This is Justin Ford for From the Frontline. Tonight we are dealing with hate speech, bull, threat to freedom of speech, conscience, and religion. In the studio with me is Dr. Peter Hammond, the founder of Frontline Fellowship, who has been involved in serving persecuted Christians for over 40 years in 38 countries. Dr. Hammond, what has impelled you to deal with today's topic? Well, our friend Michael Swain of 4SA, or Freedom of Religion SA, has alerted us to the fact that the government's trying again to push through a hate speech bill which will negatively impact on freedom of religion in South Africa if passed into law. Not just freedom of religion, freedom of thought, freedom of speech, freedom of conscience. It's a very dangerous and far-reaching bill which might be passed by Parliament and then go to the present to be signed into law as early as August this year if we do not mobilise enough opposition to it. And if it passes, then in accordance with the bill's provisions, you can be sentenced to jail for up to eight years for a first offence and a first offence doesn't have to mean that you meant to do something malicious, as the law right now requires you to prove that a person intended malice, whereas now it's sufficient that somebody perceives what you said or wrote or posted as hateful or substantially hurts their feelings or hurts their emotions or offends them. And so if somebody feels offended by what you said, that can be enough for you to be guilty. So now it's no longer that they have to prove that you had intent to be um, malicious or hurtful, but just that somebody perceives it that way. And of course, a subject of law is extremely dangerous as opposed to object of fact. Mm, yeah, before we dwell, delve into that uh, in more detail, what is the essential biblical view um, of freedom of speech? Well, the only biblical restrictions on freedom of speech in the Ten Commandments are you shall not take the norm of the Lord your God in vain, and you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. So outside those prohibitions of blasphemy and slander, we have freedom of speech. Now, of course, you could also draw from other commands, do not commit adultery, would prohibit immorality and pornography in forms of upholding sanctity of merit. So um, there could be pornographic speech, which would be forbidden. Uh, you shall not commit murder, would prohibit incitement to hatred and violence. So outside those very limited biblical restrictions, you would have freedom of speech and freedom of conscience. Um, and Jesus Christ was crucified for his teachings that offended the Jewish leadership of the time, the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin. So presumably the New Testament, directly or indirectly, must have something to say about freedom of speech and threats there too. Yes, indeed. Isaiah, at the beginning of chapter 61, declared, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of prison to them who are bound. It's Isaiah 61, verse 1. And at the beginning of his earthly ministry, our Lord Jesus Christ quoted that very passage from Isaiah when he said, in Luke 4, verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. So, plainly, um, the Lord Jesus stood for proclaiming liberty and proclaiming freedom to captives. This is something very new in world history. What the Lord initiated was actually the birth of freedom, which led to freedom of speech and freedom of conscience in the future. Given that Christ died for proclaiming the truth and challenging the status quo, what effect did the rise of Christianity have on society's attitude to freedom of speech? Historically, freedom of speech, freedom of conscience, freedom of religion is a fruit of Christianity. As observed by Carlton Hayes in Christianity in Western Civilization, wherever Christian ideals have been generally accepted and their practice sincerely attempted, there is dynamic liberty. 
And wherever Christianity is being ignored or rejected, persecuted or chained to the state, there is tyranny. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. From the dooms of King Alfred the Great to Magna Carta of 1215 to the Petition of Rights of 1628 and the English Bill of Rights of 1689, political, economic and religious freedom is founded on freedom of thought, freedom of conscience, freedom of religion and freedom of speech. Galatians 5.13 says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. However, anti-Christian forces and tyrants always seek to restrict freedom of speech, freedom of religion, and therefore also freedom of thought. This is well illustrated in George Orwell's insightful book, 1984, which many governments today take not as a warning, but as a manual, it seems. In a time of universal deceit, Orwell said, telling the truth can become a revolutionary act. Free speech is hate speech to those who hate the truth. Truth is truth even if no one believes it. A lie is a lie even if everyone believes it. You don't determine truth by majority vote or poll. Hmm. And how has dissent, what techniques have been used to suppress dissent in the past? Are we seeing similar techniques being used today? Definitely. In the past, in the Middle Ages, for example, political leaders could silence dissent by accusing the critics of treason. Now that could lead you to imprisonment or being beheaded or hung and so on. So you just shout treason and most people would shut up. And religious leaders like popes could silence their critics in opposition by accusing heresy, which every reformer was accused of. Today, the modern equivalent in these attempts to silence freedom of thought and freedom of speech and freedom of conscience, freedom of religion, would be to shout racist, homophobic bigot, anti-Semite, Islamophobe, Nazi, legalist, intolerant, judgmental, sexist, or the latest, transphobic bigot. So hate speech is what governments call free speech that they don't like. This is a worldwide phenomenon, and it's part of a comprehensive war against God. The war against free speech is actually a threat to freedom. It's a threat to Christian schools or missions or ministries, Christian community radio stations, families, and individuals. To be able to shut somebody up by just shouting some nasty adjective against them is very bad. And you can make an innocent comment like, well, marriage can only be between a man and a woman, or um, there's only two genders, and this can be construed as hate speech in Canada. That's been enough for police investigations and criminal charges in parts of America and in Great Britain and in Australia and even New Zealand. And quoting scriptures such as John 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. This has been condemned as intolerant, bigoted, judgmental, and offensive hate speech. Pro-life comments and scientific realities such as life begins at conception and abortion is murder have been condemned as hate speech by radical liberals in North America, Europe, and Australia. And we can add now in New Zealand too. Where is this ultimately leading, Dr. Hammond? Well, to answer that, um, how far can this go? I think we just need to turn to George Orwell's 1984, where thought police prosecute thought crimes. And we've basically reached that stage where people have been arrested in Australia for uh, posting something questioning the masquerade madness or the lockdown lunacy during the COVID cult. And uh, there's this pregnant woman being arrested in a nightdress um, in her living room. And she's saying, I haven't broken law. And the Australian police answer, actually, you did, ma'am. You posted uh, a Facebook posting that uh, challenged um, 
masks and, you know, literally rest, and they, they handcuffed and took this woman in her pajamas effectively uh, down to the police station to be fingerprinted because of something she posted on social media. Or you can take the video you might have seen recently of this poor woman praying on a street, silently praying on a street in England, and the police come up to and ask if she's praying. She said, yes. And they said, what are you praying about? She says, does it matter? Yes, ma'am, you're in a no prayer zone. You're within 100 meters of an abortion clinic. And so this poor woman got arrested for praying in England. Can you imagine? Just like a friend of ours got arrested along with several other evangelists in Bristol, Bristol in England, which is where George Whitfield began open-air preaching, the beginning of the Great Revival. And uh, they were arrested for offending somebody by preaching against sin on the open-air preaching in Bristol. So we've reached that stage where people can be arrested for a Facebook post for silently praying or for sharing the gospel on the street. So that's where it can go. And so this bias, this prejudice, this malice being manufactured by secular humanists through Hollywood entertainment defilement and mainstream news media disinformation distraction and secular humanist school textbooks indoctrination and increasingly intolerant political legislation, all of this is providing a sinister tool chest, an armory for anti-Christian intimidation, harassment, prosecution, and persecution. Gag rules and restrictions on freedom of speech are only a prelude for a tsunami of prosecution, censorship, fines, and even ultimately imprisonment for those who are not willing to sell their soul, violate their conscience, and be intimidated into silence. Galatians 5.1 says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Do not be entangled again by a yoke of bondage. Hmm. This sinister development, um, could this be described as social engineering, Dr. Hammond? Yes, it is. In fact, the Cambridge Dictionary defines social engineering as the artificial controlling or changing of how a society develops. And we are seeing direct and indirect coercion by governments to manipulate the development of society in specific manners. And this has been well documented uh, by um, people who started the whole propaganda industry, uh, like the father of PR, which is the first two of propaganda, but they changed it to public relations. PR is commercial application of government propaganda during wartime. And uh, uh, you can see how they have gone from the Committee for Public Information in America, which is the world's first propaganda department, uh, into a whole campaign now, which is worth billions in intimidating or coercing people into their buying habits and also into supporting wars, which they probably wouldn't have supported before. And that is social engineering for, for sure, without a doubt. Now, a significant social engineering attempt by the South African government was put under scrutiny in 2017. What can you tell us about this? Yes, well... On Wednesday, the 15th of February 2017, the Freedom of Religion South Africa, or 4SA, hosted a meeting at His People in Goodwood in Cape Town to discuss potential threats to religious freedom posed by the Hate Speech Bill and the CRL uh, Rights Commission proposals to regulate religion. Even that word, regulate religion, should already be a warning. Well, this meeting was attended by the ANC's Deputy Minister of Justice, John Jeffrey who addressed the delegates and gave an example of a minister who he claimed had called for the killing of gays. Well, one of the delegates in the meeting challenged him on this and made the distinction between somebody discussing academically what the law of God may require as far as law and due process and justice goes, and somebody inciting people to take the law into their own hands. I mean, there's a big difference between advocating that abortion be recognized as murder 
and babies protected by law from the violence of abortion by due process of law, and some were rebel-rouser or agitator calling for individuals to take the law into their own hands and assassinate abortionists, for example. And uh, he wasn't willing to distinguish between the fact that you might have an academic discussion about this. So Michael Swain, the executive director of Freedom of Religion in South Africa, said, the bill's hate speech provisions have the potential to shut down important dialogue and to entrench a polarization of viewpoints, which is exactly what it would do. The Member of Parliament, Steve Swartz of the ACDP, challenged Mr. Deffrey over the danger of criminalizing free speech. At a time when our legal system is overwhelmed and it's not coping with real serious crimes, such as armed robberies, assaults, murders and rape, is it wise and helpful to swamp the courts even further with time-wasting, money-wasting intrusions into freedom of speech and freedom of religion? Well, the ANC's Deputy Minister of Justice, Mr. Jeffrey, opinioned that in the light of the wars of religion, it was necessary to implement the hate speech bill. Um, when you say wars of religion, um, are you referring to the wars in Europe that ended centuries ago? Apparently that's what he was referring to because I stood up at this point and challenged him that it seems ironic to have a politician talk about wars of religion, which after all did end 350 years ago with the Peace of Westphalia, 1648. We've just come out of a century, the 20th century, where secular humanist states, atheist states, socialist and communist states, have murdered over 190 million of their own citizens. So the wars of religion, which ended so many centuries ago, pale into insignificance compared to the colossal body count of secular humanist, atheist states in our own lifetime. Secular humanism has caused most of the wars and massacres of the 20th century, as documented by death by government by Professor R.J. Rommel and the Black Book of Communism, which documents from the archives of the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe Warsaw Pact countries that over 100 million of their own citizens were killed in peacetime in the name of atheism. Just between 1917 and 1991, all this started with registering churches and restricting freedoms. What other truths to power did you fire at Mr. Jeffrey, uh, the Deputy Minister of Justice, at that meeting? And is he still the Deputy Minister of Justice? Actually, he is still the Deputy Minister of Justice. His CV or biography on Justice Department's website states he's passionate about justice, human rights, and constitutional awareness, whatever that means. Well, at this meeting in 2017, I also pointed out to him that the hate speech bill threatens freedom of speech restricts freedom of conscience and erodes freedom of religion. And I asked him what determines what hate speech is. Considering that the NC government has failed in the last 25 years to deal with kill the boer, kill the farmer, songs and slogans, which have not only been an incitement to violence, but have actually led to thousands of brutal murders and tortures of South African farmers and their wives and children. Are we to believe that the government is seriously concerned with dealing with genuine hate speech, and hate practices such as the BLF, Black First, Land First, and EFF, or Everything for Free Party, and what they espouse daily. I mean, they're the ones who get the people hissing out, kill, 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 kill the boer, kill the farmer, you know, shoot to kill, and, you know, bah, bah, shoot to kill, and on, on Julius Malema and others. And they've been taken to court over this, but some or another, they never managed to uh, shut down politicians shouting, bring me my machine gun, and kill a boer, kill a farmer, and all that sort of thing. Are we to believe that the ANC government really intends to deal with genuine hate speech and incitement to violence? And I asked, you know, are you intending to investigate uh, promotions of jihad uh, and monitor Friday messages in the mosque? I mean, seriously, do you really think the government's going to do that? Are we to accept, because 
Department of Justice expecting us to accept pornography as legally protected as free speech, although pornography is plainly not speech. And we're told that blasphemy must be considered free speech. We're not meant to question the right of people to blaspheme, but our sermons, our publications, and our postings must now be examined to see if they can be construed as offensive by some subjective secularist who has a track record of harassing and prosecuting Christians. Freedom of speech is essential for any free society. Freedom of speech is not negotiable, I said. And there's a clear anti-Christian bias amongst many in this government, and we don't believe that political appointees will be fair, even-handed, and objective in determining what constitutes hate speech and what doesn't. And I've pointed out that thousands of churches have been closed in Cuba and tens of thousands of Christians imprisoned in Cuba under similar legislation enacted under Fidel Castro. How were your words received? Well, many of the delegates assembled that they responded to my questions and statements with applause. And this will seem to unsettle the Justice Department representative. He stuttered and he stammered in trying to formulate a reply and he neglected to address most of the issues raised. Finally, he lamely said, I don't think it's constructive to try and compare who was most responsible for deaths in the last century. Let's just agree that some people died because of wars of religion, which is, again, okay, that ended 350 years ago, but I'm talking about in the last century, your pals, your supporters, your ideals were your people trained in the Soviet Union. They're responsible for over 100 million deaths in the name of atheism. And he's talking about wars of religion. So Mr. Jeffrey claimed... No rights are absolute, and they must all have limitations. So when I said that uh, there should be no restriction on freedom of, of speech whatsoever, he said, uh, no, there must be limitations to every freedom. Whatever happened to being innocent till proven guilty, asked, truth does not fear investigation. Stifling debate, criminalizing dissent does not make for a free society. To condemn people without granting them a meaningful opportunity to answer accusations is inherently unjust. In fact, you can see how this goes on, that, for example, in Germany, you've had something like 50,000 people arrested uh, in past years for questioning the traditional standard narrative of the Second World War. And uh, recently, we even saw a, a an attorney, a lawyer, who was trying to defend their client against this accusation. And that's what I thought attorneys are meant to do in court cases, arrested for violating their law that you're not meant to question even the version of events about the Second World War and the um, whole in uh, the demonization of, of Germany as a nation and as people. And here's a lawyer trying to defend the client against an unjust accusation, uh, finding themselves arrested for having violated the very same laws that couldn't even do their own um, defense, do their own duty and their own job. So this is how far it can go that you so demonize one group of people that if they try to say anything in defense, that not only they, but the lawyer can get arrested and imprisoned, which actually happened. Mm. Yeah, and well, I mean, countries like Germany are supposed to be liberal democracies, and South Africa, I presume, is considered a liberal democracy, which um, leads to the next <laughs> question. Does the South African constitution actually allow for such a law? We don't believe so. The invasive registration process proposed by the commission is unconstitutional, unworkable, and unnecessary. The proposed regulation of religions recommended by the CRL Commission is also not in keeping with the South African Charter of Religious Rights and Freedoms, uh, to which the CRL is meant to be a signatory. Now, there are some charlatans and con artists to exploit the poor and the vulnerable in society, and they need to be exposed and dealt with as false advertising. And we must also encourage greater discernment among Christians, of course. 
just everyone who claims to be a prophet or an apostle or some kind of uh, archbishop or whatever uh, should not be taken seriously. They should be compared with scripture. But from a constitutional perspective, the CRL's proposed regulation of religion in South Africa, if implemented, would violate the constitutional rights to freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of thought, freedom of association, and freedom of belief and opinion. And rather than creating new laws which would place additional burdens on the originally strained resource of government and the police and the courts who are not keeping up, the state should focus its energy and its resources on enforcing existing laws to address the problems identified. Um, I mean, everyone knows we've got a problem with violence and crime and theft and corruption by government. Uh, but here they're trying to get energies and personnel to investigate social media postings and sermons. So Freedom of Religion in South Africa strongly recommended a code of conduct to which religious institutions and practitioners could be encouraged to subscribe. But it's a code of conduct they should set up themselves, not have some polit politicos set up for them. However, you need to find solutions that are practical and constitutionally permissible without infringing on or eroding freedoms of religion, freedom of, of belief, of opinion, of speech, conscience, and freedom of association. The history of registering churches and religious practitioners, as was pioneered in the Soviet Union and Red China and Cuba, showed the disastrous, destructive results of interfering with freedom of conscience. Where does it end? And, well, it ends with the Gulag Archipelago and Christians being locked up in Arctic hellholes or turning a Caribbean paradise island like Cuba into a hellhole where people are swimming across shark-infested waters to escape from. And that's why Galatians 5.13 says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Mm. Uh, coming back to the CRL Rights Commission, what does the CRL in that name actually stand for? CRL Commission is an abbreviated name for the Commission for the Promotion and Protection of the Rights of Cultural, Religious and Linguistic Communities. So it's quite a mouthful, but CRL stands for Cultural, Religious and Linguistic Communities. So ironically, in light of the proposed hate speech bill, this mouthful of a commission was supposedly established to, in order to promote and protect the rights of cultural, religious and linguistic communities. But um, apparently that doesn't include uh, white Afrikaans-speaking uh, Christians or colored community people who uh, believe in the biblical family and so on. So it's meant to be protection of your cultural, rel religious and linguistic rights, but we don't think that their track record shows that, or at least the government's doesn't. Mm. And the war uh, for freedom of speech is being waged on many fronts, is it not? It is. So Africa Christian Action published the book The Rise of the Gay GB and the Pink Inquisition, which documented how the radical LGBTQ homosexual lobby is jealous for the loyalty and approval of all. And now the, trans, the, the T in the LGBT stands for the transgenders. And they are very aggressively being promoted with billions and billions of dollars by billionaires and big pharma. Big pharma gets about 1.3 million for every person who decides to transgender in terms of hormone blockers and uh, surgery and all the rest of it. You know, for mastectomies and castrations and other gender-affirming care, they like to call it. We'd call it uh, genital mutilation. But uh, some even demand prosecution of dissenting voices. So if you think the homosexual agenda will not affect you or your congregation or your family, you're wrong. The transgender activists, as we've seen, and many of the um, LGBTQ um, crowd 
and the gender fluidity movement, they want to transform the very fabric of society, and they say so. They want to homosexualize the schools and the scouts and the youth group and the next generation. They want government funding, your taxes to do it, to force us and all. Whereas the Bible says, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. So Satan's plan is to invert reality, where blasphemy and perversion become the new normal, but free speech is criminalized as blasphemy and treason to the new world order, or new world disorder. Pornography becomes an essential aspect of free speech. Abortion becomes the blood sacrifice sacrament of the new world order, replacing the Lord's Supper. Questioning the multicultural interfaith agenda of the new world order becomes treason and heresy. Questioning the secular humanist version of origins through billions of years of evolution is intolerable. Questioning the secular humanist New World Order version of history is considered subversive and probably hateful. Promoting and teaching the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and applying the Lordship of Christ to all areas of life is condemned as hate speech and intolerance. So what you look at is a new inquisition. That's why we call it the rise of the gay GB and the new inquisition or the pink inquisition. Hmm. And how should Christians respond to this war against free speech? Well, as Bible-believing Christians... Um, We've got to reject any criminalizing of a Christian conscience and prosecution of thought crimes and pervasive pressure to normalize and accept pornography, perversion, and blasphemy because they don't only want to have the normal declared, uh, the deviant to be declared normal, they want the normal to be declared deviant. Nearly 500 years ago, Professor Martin Luther, the great German reformer, declared, if I profess with the loudest voice and the clearest exposition every portion of the truth of God's word, except precisely that point, which the world and the devil are at that moment attacking, then I'm not confessing Christ, however boldly I might be professing him. Where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldiers proved. And to be steady on all the battlefront besides is mere flight and disgrace if he flinches at that point. Martin Luther also warned, I'm much afraid that schools will prove to be wide gates to hell unless they diligently labor in explaining the holy scriptures, engraving them on the hearts of youth. I advise no one to place his child where the scriptures do not reign paramount. Every institution in which men are not constantly occupied with the word of God must become corrupt. So we as Bible-believing evangelical Christians must respond as Dr. Martin Luther responded at Worms before the assembled political and ecclesiastical might of Europe on 18th of April 1521. Unless I am convinced by scripture or by clear reasoning that I'm in error, for popes and councils have often erred and contradicted themselves. I cannot recant, for I am subject to the scriptures I've quoted. My conscience has captured the word of God. It is unsafe and dangerous to anything against one's conscience. Here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. Help me, God. Amen. There can be a high price to pay for such a stance. Without a doubt. But God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And our Lord Jesus did teach us, do not fear any man. The fear of man can prove to be a snare and a trap. We should fear God, who can destroy both body and soul in hell forever. The fear of God is liberating. Better to fear the one true God than to be enslaved to the fear of the multitude of men. Of course, making such bold biblical stands does come at a price. Professor John Wycliffe, the morning star of the Reformation, was kicked out of Oxford University because of his bold Bible teaching and translation of the scriptures into English. Professor Jan Hus of Prague University was excommunicated by the Pope and burned at the stake at Constance. However, as Jan Hus was pressed to recant to save his life, he declared, I would not, for a chapel full of gold, recede from the truth. The truth stands forever, and it's as mighty. 
Huss declared he preferred to be burned in public than be silenced in private, in order that all of Christendom might know what I've said in the end. Huss declared he had gladly sealed with his blood the truths he had taught in his life. In the truth of the gospel I've written, taught, and preached, today I will gladly die, he said. And Jan Hus went further, he made a prophecy as he is about to die. My goose is cooked, he said. Now, goose is the bohemian word. Hus is the bohemian word for goose. My goose is cooked, he said, making a play on words. But a hundred years from now, a swan will arise whose voice you will not be able to sound. And so many recognize Professor Martin Luther as, the, as that voice. Hence the prevalence of swans in Lutheran art and architecture. Interestingly, a century later, as Martin Luther was being ordained to the priesthood, he was required to lay face down before the altar in the Erfurt Cathedral. And Martin Luther was actually lying face down over the tomb of the bishop who had burned Huss at the stake. Now you could imagine that that bishop, hearing Professor Huss predict that a hundred years from now a swan will arise whose voice the Pope will not be able to silence. He may have muttered something along the lines of, over my dead body. Well, indeed, Martin Luther entered the priesthood over that bishop's dead body, literally. So it's the truth that sets us free. Deception brings bondage. The truth brings freedom. We need to notice that those people who claim to be concerned with hate speech, as 2 Peter 2.19 says, while they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. Now, there's a viewpoint that would show that this hate speech is fundamentally flawed. Yes, it is. I would say, as Christians, we are, of course, against hate. But the hate speech bill is not designed to sound genuine hate speech. And what is the worst kind of speech? It's blasphemy against Almighty God, our Creator and Eternal Judge. Now, in our society, we have laws against libel and slander, which are real hate speech. And yet, so much of our entertainment industry vilify victims and victimize villains and invert reality and slander God's people and demonize those whom blaspheming, God-hating pagans hate. And so... To think that we've got to put up with blasphemy and inverting of reality in so much of the news media, the entertainment industry, and the school textbooks. And uh, we're, not, we're not meant to accept that hate speech laws can restrict real hate speech, but that sermons that are well-intended just teaching biblical principles, like there's two genders and marriage can only be between a man and a woman, that this is somehow construed as hate speech that deserves a pastor or a Facebook poster to be put in jail for eight years. It's insane. Uh, Leviticus 19.17 says, You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. That's Leviticus 19.17. Proverbs 10.12 says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers over all sins. Um, and um, love does cover a multitude of sins. 1 John 2.9 says, he who says he's in the light and hates his brother is in darkness as well now. In other words, someone who hates someone is not a real Christian. There's no life of God in him. He's in darkness. He's unsaved. Our Lord Jesus taught the world hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. John 7, 7. Our Lord Jesus said, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. John 15, 18. And the Lord gave a parable how the people of the world would say of God's son, we will not have this man to reign over us. Luke 19, 14. So the Bible is fully against hate, but it would seem that the world, in many cases, hates Christ and hates his people and his laws and wants to prosecute Christians who are faithful to Christ 
but not to silence those who are full of real hate. I mean, just think of the hateful bunch of men dressed up as women with makeup in New Zealand who attacked Kelly J. Keane, who was leading feminists under the banner Let Women Speak, and using rape uh, sirens and um, alarms and bullhorns uh, create such a noise that they couldn't be heard and then physically assaulted her through tomato sauce over tomato juice and declared publicly we put tomato juice over to show we think Kelly J. Keene should be covered in blood, preferably her own. And then other of these men, thugs pretending to be women, um, stated there's no place for hate and intolerance in New Zealand. And if they could have just seen themselves, the only people evidencing hate and intolerance were them. And they felt good about shutting down free speech and chasing out a woman. And these are men claiming to be women and not letting women speak. Just because she's wanting to say women should have their safe spaces and men should not be allowed into women's bathrooms, change rooms, shower rooms and sports, which surely the women have the right to say that. But they wouldn't even let someone else say anything. And then... They justify their hate and intolerance by saying there's no room for hate and intolerance in New Zealand, whereas um, they were the ones that exhibited the worst hate and intolerance of all. So this is the problem. We've got people saying we're against hate, but in many cases they're acting in a very hateful way themselves and very intolerant of alternative viewpoints as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this upside-down... Inversion of reality. Yeah, and that, that was really... Um, anticipated by Orwell, it, it just in, when we talk about a hate speech bill, um, Orwell was... War is peace. Yeah. Ignorance is is knowledge. Um, slavery is, is freedom, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Minister, mini love, I think it was a ministry yeah, of Yeah, ministry of love is the ones who run the torture, and ministry of truth are the ones who organize the lies and propaganda. Yeah. And the ministry of plenty organizes the famines and starvation. Exactly. Ooh. Yeah, the dangerous power of language. Um, ministry sh- of peace organizes the wars. Yeah. Right. <laughs> How how should um, Christians prepare themselves for doing battle against those who wish to snuff out freedom of speech? Well, the word of God commands us, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks your reason for the hope that's in you, 1 Peter 3.15. So we do need to prepare ourselves. We need to be knowledgeable. We need to research. We need to be informed. We need to be interceding. And remember, 500 years ago, in 1519, the Swiss reformer Ulrich Zwingli dispensed with the Latin Mass and began expository preaching, teaching from Matthew 1 verse 1, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the whole of the New Testament. And that's a great example. We need to get back to the Bible for Reformation Revival. We need to get back to reading and studying the Word of God and applying it to every area of life. In the face of intimidation and threats from the world, we need to respond with the courage and the conviction of the great Protestant reformers, Martin Luther and Ulrich Swingley. Our conscience must be kept to the word of God. We must stand on the unchangeable word of Almighty God. We must not be conformed to this world. We must be willing to be different, to go against the flow, to stand up for Jesus, to step out in faith, to speak up and proclaim the word of God faithfully and accurately, and that they might come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will, as 2 Timothy 2.26 says. Truth does not fear investigation. We must... Know the truth, and the truth shall set us free. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Do not be entangled again with the yoke of slavery. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Romans 8, 2. Because the creation itself will also be delivered from the bondage of corruption into glorious liberty of the children of God. 
Dr. Hammond, where can listeners find out more about the hate speech bill, the Christian role in establishing freedom of speech and other topics raised in this discussion? Yes, and of course, this doesn't just apply to South Africa. This is a threat everywhere from New Zealand to Canada. So you can go onto the www.christianaction.org.za website. And on the christianaction.org.za website, you will find also available in PDF format with pictures um, this very article that we're talking about on the hate speech bill threat to free speech. And you'll see updates on it and links to previous articles, which was also in a Christian Action magazine of 2019. And we've got a video and we've got an audio link as well. You can listen to an audio of the presentation given in English with Zulu translation at the Kwasabantu Ministers Conference. And there's also a video presentation in English only. And uh, uh, one can listen to it either on Sermon Audio on under our Frontline Fellowship page. Uh, and you'll see the links on the christianaction.org.za website. Also, if you get Christian Liberty Books, christianlibertybooks.co.za website, you can obtain The Rise of the KGB and the Pink Inquisition book, which has got a lot more on all this. And the other books we've referred to, like George Orwell's 1984, uh, can, of course, be very helpful. Um, if you want to see what the CRL Rights Commission says, their website is crlcommission.org.za, crlcommission.org.za. .org.za. And you should also go onto the Freedom of Religion SA uh, website. Uh, that's Freedom of Religion or 4SA, F-O-R-S-A website. And you'll see they've got a whole lot. They've also got a website platform for Dear SA. Their website is forsa.org.za, Freedom of Religion SA. Um, they've got lots on this. And if you are South African, you want to actually write to the chairperson of this Committee on Security and Justice. That's what they call it. Um, that's the Honorable S. Shake, S-H-A-I-K-M-P. And his email is hatecrimesbill9b-2018 at parliament.gov.za. So hatecrimesbill, one word, 9b-2018 or dash 2018 at parliament.gov.za gov.za and uh, so that's how you can get hold of them but if you if you want the links we've got the links in the Christian Action website article so you go on to christianaction.org.za website you'll get the link to the articles and to uh, freedom of religion essay forsa.org.za website and more details and email address for the select committee on security and justice so called Dr. Hammond thank you very much for stepping out in faith and taking a stand against this uh, threat to our free speech. Um, let's close by meditating on Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the, true, the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effect of working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Thank you very much for joining us for From the Frontline. God bless and good night. <laughs>